Welcome to The Leader's Guide, the podcast made for today's leaders who are looking to make a difference in their life and the lives of others. Let's get started. I want to start off by saying thank you to everyone who has listened to my most recent episodes. I have a lot of fun doing these podcasts, and today's going to be no exception. My guest today stepped into her first professional leadership role when she was 19 years old and fell in love with developing a company's greatest asset, their people. Danielle Abbott has 24 years of leadership experience in the financial and healthcare industries, focusing on the development of leaders, goal setting, and most importantly, goal achieving. Now, she works as a leadership trainer and success coach, and I'm so excited to dive into her experiences and passions a little bit more today. Danielle, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Excellent. Thank you, Alex, for having me. So um, I gave you a little bit of an introduction, but do you mind just telling our audience a little about who Danielle is and some of the work that that you've done over the past 24 or so years? Yeah, so 24 makes me sound so old, Alex. <laughs> but very I experienced. Have... I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, I started my very first leadership role actually for a telemarketing company. <clears throat> I was in college uh, going for my psychology degree because I just love to know like how humans work and how they think and all of the things. And I was promoted to a manager while going to school full time. I had a team of about 20 to 25 people who are like my parents' age and my grandparents' age that I was leading. So I would say my first leadership job really kind of threw me in feet first, but it's where I learned the most. Um, so I'm very grateful for that role. And over the years, I was with that company um, in many different capacities, uh, mainly in the training and education department, working with new hires, working with leaders to really help them reach the company initiatives. And then I transitioned over to healthcare. About 12 years into that, I had an old uh, leader call me and say, have I got a deal for you? And I transitioned to healthcare in a financial capacity. And it was one of those jobs where I just knew this isn't for me, like this doesn't light me up. I'm not able to coach people. I'm not able to help them learn and grow. And um, I knew I needed out of that. Um, and it took me about five years to figure out what that was going to be. Um, but then I was grateful and lucky enough to really found a learning and development department that was for a healthcare system of about 13,000 employees, but it was for non-clinical type training. You do not want me giving you an IV, but I can tell you all the leadership stuff. So I was one of the founding members of that department. Um, so we had to learn and create and develop content. Um, I got to work with a local university and create a leadership year-long program where people were uh, getting college credits to go back to school. So we were very invested in our employees in that. And um, again, that was another role where I definitely learned a lot of what I want to do, what I don't want to do, but more so in the business aspect. Like, how do I want to run my business? And what do I want to do? And what do I not want to do? And so I've had my own business for about four years. And last year in March during, you know, the pandemic, when everything was crazy, I left the corporate world and I have been doing my own work now for the last uh, year and a half full time. Um, and it's been great. It's been quite a ride. Yeah, no, and I can't wait to get a little bit more into that. And I love the the part of your story that's, you know, you, you kind of started in something that you loved and found something that you were passionate about so early. And then it took kind of losing it to realize that this was something that was really important to you, one of your real values in in career and everything else. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I know that 
you specialize in a lot of different areas when you work with companies, including productivity, communication, retention, and, and just so many different other areas. When you were first approaching a struggling organization, um, what are some of the first things you try and look at and try to assess when um, turning them around? Yeah, the biggest thing is what type of culture it is. And you can really see it by observing. Um, mm -hmm. So lots of times people will go in and they have a list of questions or kind of like this informal type interview to find things, which I do that as well. But I like to say, hey, can I come to your office? Because I want to walk through the halls of your organization and I want to see people and I want to watch people and I want to see how they interact mm -hmm. because that's really where the true story is. You know, are people heads down not engaging with each other? Are people collaborating in the break room? Like, are they excited to be there? And you really can tell a lot by walking through the halls of an organization. Um, so that's one of the things that I do. And then I ask some really great questions like, what is your turnover rate like how many people come and go you know through the year and are there certain departments that perhaps that happens more so than not because some of those numbers are going to really tell you where are your really great leaders and where are the leaders that need some help and that are struggling many times it's no fault of the leader the person but it is the fault of we promote people we wave the magic wand and we say, hey, Alex, now you're a leader, mm -hmm. go forth and lead. And we don't give you any of the tools to do it. Right, and right. so unless you are a true natural born leader, we're setting people up to fail in leadership roles. And so that's kind of where I come in and I'm like, hey, like let's promote these people, great. But we cannot promote people strictly on the fact that they were really good at the job they were just in, right? We have to give them the tools to succeed. Yeah, I think a lot of times that, that culture especially from the leader can really stem from not necessarily what the leader does, but what they don't do, you know, and yes. what the training that they don't implement and maybe what they let slide by and stuff like that. And I think it's really important to be disciplined as a leader and recognizing that kind of stuff. Right. Yes. A hundred percent. And I think one of the things that I work with, with my one-on-one uh, -on -one leaders, you know, they have all these goals and we talk about goals at the beginning and it always comes back to having the difficult conversations. And so mm -hmm. when you think about what is the leader not doing, well, they're not holding people accountable and they're not having the difficult conversations because, well, that's uncomfortable, right? right? Nobody wants to do that, but that is part of being a leader. Like we have to have those conversations. And so that I would say is the number one thing that I end up working with leaders um, on is being able to be comfortable in those uncomfortable situations. Yes, yes, we have to get uncomfortable and you can do them really well. One of my clients last week, in fact, she sent me the message and she's like, okay, like I did it. She had been putting this conversation off for a couple of weeks and I'm like, how did it go? And she's like, it was great. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> right? Like it can be a great conversation. Like difficult conversations don't need the person walking away feeling unhelped. Mm -hmm. And we can really make that person, that individual feel helped and feel supported as an employee. Those conversations really go a lot easier. So that's something I want to, I want to dive a little bit deeper into is that idea of being comfortable, being uncomfortable, because I think that that is, that is a, an invaluable leadership skills when you have a leader that is, has those kind of conversations with you and is willing to put themselves in that kind of vulnerable place and have that conversation with you. But I think just with, with dating, with pursuing jobs, with, um, our own personal and mental health and stuff like that, we typically try to avoid those feelings of being uncomfortable. So in, in looking to develop that, what are some of like the most important steps or initial steps in stepping out of your comfort zone and learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable? 
Oh my goodness. Like what I want to say and what I'm going to say are going to be two different things. So I'm going to tell you what I want to say is just do it. Right. Like the Mm -hmm. Nike slogan, like just do it. But I know in reality, right, that's not going to happen because we are safe when we're comfortable. Right. And we have, you know, this emotion of fear and that's scary. Like nobody wants to be fearful. Right. And it keeps us in our comfort zone. So I think there's a few things. One is we have to change our language around it. And I don't say things like get out of your comfort zone because who the heck wants to get out of it? Mm -hmm. Like I'm here for a reason, right? But I say, let's expand it. And then that makes it more baby steps, right? Okay, I just get to push the boundaries a little bit. Because when we say get out of your comfort zone, a lot of times people think they have to like jump into something huge. No, like I want you to take these baby steps, like let's push the boundaries and get there. So changing the language that we use is really important, um, I think, when expanding that comfort zone. And I think the other thing, and I actually just did a a live on Facebook today on this particular topic, but our Mm self-talk, because we will constantly say things like, I can't, I'm not worthy, I don't know enough, right? Those types of things. Well, those things will keep you in your comfort zone, right? Because if I don't know enough, I'm not going to take a risk. If I'm not worthy enough, I'm not going to take a risk. And so we have to start reframing our internal dialogue with ourselves to make it safe to fail right and so then the Mm -hmm. third thing is fail as much as you can like that should be your goal is to fail as much as you can because if you are failing you are taking action and if you are never failing i will challenge you and question you time and time again that you're probably not taking any action and you're not growing and you're not expanding your comfort zone so the last one would be fail a lot like that's yeah I'm, I'm having a little bit of an aha here as you talk about just previously you talked about your your work with working with organizations and now with individuals i know when when i've been trained in working coaching individuals one of the first things you want to look at isn't so much like what they're actually doing with their goals but the psychology you know how they talk to themselves the strategies that they run how they do what they do and if they have the systems in their own internal lives to set them up for success. You know, like you just said, being being feeling safe, expanding your comfort zone. And in a similar way, one of the first things you look at with an organization is their culture, which is in that similar way is, do I feel safe and comfortable expressing myself, feel safe, um, having difficult conversations, expressing my opinion and stuff like that. And I'm just curious your thoughts on that kind of parallel there with the individual and their own personal self-talk, their own personal psychology and how that translates to the organizational culture and expanding that comfort zone. Yeah, I think um, a big piece of this is, and you may have heard the term psychological safety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that term is being used more and more, but it's when people feel safe, not just like I hear it a lot, like, oh, in meetings, like create psychological safety so that people feel comfortable expressing their opinions and sharing their thoughts and all of those things, which yes, 1000% true. But there's this other piece that I think we're missing and it's people need to feel safe to make decisions. People need to feel safe to make a mistake, right? And if they feel safe to do those things and I make a mistake and I made a decision, it didn't go well, I should feel safe to come to my leader and say, hey, Alex, this went wrong. Here's how I want to fix it, but I really need your help and know that I'm not gonna get yelled at. I'm not gonna be the next one on the chopping block. I'm not gonna get Mm -hmm. demoted by doing that. And I think when we can create that psychological safety in those different ways, people feel safe 
taking some risks. People feel safe, you know, making decisions and feeling empowered because one piece of being a leader is we end up doing everybody's work if we don't empower our employees to make some decisions, right? That's not your job as a leader is to make all the decisions. Your job as the leader is really to kind of be the puppet master maybe, or the coach, right? And you're facilitating everything that's going on, but you have to empower people to feel safe, to take risks, make some decisions and make some mistakes. Yeah, I love that. One of my favorite quotes around kind of that idea is that a manager delegates tasks and then a leader delegates decision-making authority, which in turn creates other leaders, which I think is a really cool idea. Yeah. My philosophy when I was a leader and some of my senior leaders had a hard time with this, but I, it's one thing that I just wouldn't let go is I'm like, my job is to find my next, like my job replacement because Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be here forever. Like I knew like three to five years was my typical like span in a position. I'm like, I want to make your job easier. I'm going to find the person to replace me. Right. And I'm starting today. Like I'm going to grow them and then I'll leave and Hey, you'll have someone you're welcome. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was always my philosophy, like to really grow people. um, And part of that is making them feel safe. Yeah. And I think that takes a very mature mentality in business where you want to look at your customers or look at your your team members and say, I want you to outgrow me to the point where you don't need me anymore to succeed. And you're able to help other people succeed. And then starting this chain of a chain of events there that is just of empowering each other. Yeah. That's my favorite. I love it when people leave me. I probably yeah. shouldn't say that. Right. <laughs> I'm like, But I love it when people leave me. <laughs> yeah. And it's a very backwards mentality, but I think a very empowering one to even have for yourself. Yeah, because they're leaving for the right reasons, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. if people are leaving because they're like, oh, I don't like you or I can't work with you, like that's different. But people are leaving for the right reasons. I did my job. Mm -hmm. I did my job. Absolutely. And I want to take what you were talking about earlier, because I think that you you were talking about how it's very important for a leader to ensure that their employees feel safe making decisions and making mistakes. How does that translate to you being a, a leader of your own life? You know, when you're setting goals or you're going, you're expanding your comfort zone, how do you give yourself, I guess, permission or create that safe space for yourself to make mistakes, to express your opinions in different ways and, and show up in maybe ways that are uncomfortable? Yeah. Oh, it's so much harder to do it for yourself, right? As a leader, hey, I can tell you all day long, like what we need to do and what will work. But for yourself, it is hard because then it becomes really personal, right? Mm-hmm really personal. And um, a few things that I do is one, I'm always reassessing what my true core values are. And I don't mean we all value things like friends, family, money, like those are our surface level values, but I'm always reconnecting like what is motivating to me? Like, what do I align with? Um, And things that I align with, I align with connection. I love connection. I love building relationships. I love collaborating. I am a huge fan of growth. Like if I am not growing, then what am I doing? Like if I am not learning something new, then what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and those are two things that really um, help drive that for me because I can connect what I'm doing to one of those things. And then inspiring is the other one, inspiring and empowering. So whenever I can connect this uncomfortable task with one of my core values, I know it's the right move for me. Um, so number one, know what your inner core values are and 100% align everything you do with them. And that means you're going to have to start saying no to some things. Right. Mm -hmm. And I find we uh, tend to be overachievers and we want to say yes to everything. Um, I think the overachiever, but we also don't want to miss out. Right. I don't want to miss out on an opportunity. I don't want to miss out. But when you're truly connected and taking action 
in alignment with your inner core values, you A, have to say no, and B, things will start happening for you much quicker and it will feel really good and you will get less burned out. Yeah, I, I think that that is so important. I think the I can't overemphasize the importance of knowing what your values are and then using those to make decisions. And I, I feel like it's not that things become easier, but they become so much more clear about this is the right thing to do. This is the right step to take. And whether that's in your in your professional life and choosing different roles, choosing different careers or different opportunities, or even in your personal life and choosing yeah. your relationships, you know, it's it's tying these back to your values. And then it makes it so much clearer to mm-hmm. move forward. And and I think that with your comfort zone and talking about that, it takes courage to expand your comfort zone. And it's, it, it, one of my favorite ideas is that like uh, courage isn't like the absence of fear, but it takes courage to act through fear you know like that idea yeah. of of with relating fear and courage i think that that is such an important thing to understand in relation to your values and your comfort zone yes and with courage we always tend to wait for the exact right moment an exact mm-hmm. right time to do anything that's never going to happen right so if we want to flex that courage muscle we have to stop waiting for perfection right yeah. and just take the take the the risk yeah, I think that that is so important. And I want to tie that into a little bit to what we were talking about at the very beginning, which is the goal setting and goal achieving. Because I know that that's a lot of what, what your work is centered on is helping people not just set goals, but achieve goals. And I'm sure that your goals, if you're doing it the right way, should scare you a little bit, should make you a little bit uncomfortable. Um, when you're going about that, how do you typically teach people to set goals versus achieving goals in relation to expanding their comfort zone? Yeah. So a lot of the people that I work with um, will tell you that they're amazing at setting goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had a class last night and everybody in it, when I said, how good are you at setting goals on a scale of one to five, like five being, they're like, I'm a five, I'm an eight, I'm like a 25. Like we are really good at setting goals. We're taught that we're taught things like smart goals growing up. Like we're taught how to set goals we are not often taught how to achieve goals in smart goals it's great i have mixed feelings about it but it really comes at the end right Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pre-work that we need to do to make sure that we're setting the right goals to make sure that we're setting goals that are going to motivate us and if they're too easy they're not going to motivate us we're going to give up and we're not giving up because it's too hard we often give up because it's too easy and that's when you might know like if you tend to set a lot of goals but you don't achieve a lot of goals i would challenge you to really look at them and say were they truly hard enough like were they motivating enough for me and the answer probably is no right or were they truly connected to my core values probably not right so there's some inner work i think you have to do there to make sure you're a setting the right goals Mm -hmm. and then the other piece that people miss is we underestimate the amount of time it is truly going to take to achieve a goal. So if we set a goal and we don't reach it by the end of the month, we give up because we're frustrated and we're like, oh, I failed. Well, yeah, you need to fail. Like that's part of it. And if you're setting goals and you're just achieving them and never failing, they're not goals, right? And so there's all of these things that I work with my clients on, but there's a whole process before you ever get to taking the action that you really need to outline. You need to outline things like what skills do you need? What knowledge do you need? And what habits do you need to change, add, or delete in order to reach the goal? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like we don't do a lot of this pre-work 
And all of a sudden it's January 1st and we're like, oh, I need a goal because <laughs> it's a new year. <laughs> and we just throw something out there and we don't have a strategy to reach it. Mm-hmm. And then we just give up. Um, and then there's all kinds of strategy stuff I kind of talk about as well. Um, I'm a big fan of calendars. I'm a big fan of like putting it out there, writing the baby steps down and meeting those small milestones. I think that it's so important what you said is is instead of focusing so much on that end goal, it's about kind of who you're becoming in the process, the habits that you're developing, the skills you're acquiring, because even if when you achieve that goal, those habits and skills are what's going to keep you moving forward and keep you progressing and moving in that right direction. And then two other things I, I could talk forever. So make me be quiet if I need to, but two things that I want to say is one thing is we have to set goals that we are running towards, right? You just mm-hmm. triggered my memory. Like we have to run towards something, not away from something. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes like if you want the promotion, right? You might be running away from a low paying job. Oh, I want this job because I want to make more money. Well, you're not going to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. What are you truly running towards? I'm running towards this job because I want, um, I don't know, X, Y, Z. I want this new skill. I want to work for this particular company or this particular leader. When we run towards a goal, we're more likely to stick to it, right? And keep kind of going um, and growing from there. The other thing that we miss out on a lot is defining what success looks like to us. And I feel like if you don't define what success is up front before you ever work on your goal, you will hit success and you won't even know it. And you will beat yourself up because you feel like you didn't get there. But because the journey has caused you to grow and caused you to become this other amazing human being, now you think you should be doing more and better. But six months ago, this is what you thought success was and you hit it. Mm-hmm. Celebrate that, right? And then set a new goal. And so we miss we miss the mark a lot of times on that. And I want to touch on real quick because I, I think that I could talk to you about this all day long. I love the conversation that we're having getting into. And I want to talk about a little bit different aspect of goal setting just as we're finishing up. Because I think that what you were just talking about is a really important answer to why people get burnt out with their goals, why people develop a lot of anxiety around their goals, why people feel insignificant in themselves when they don't achieve their goals. And it's kind of about that wrong way that they're going about setting their goals. You know, looking at it as I need to hit this end income or this end goal. And if I don't hit it, there's something wrong with me or I'm a quitter or I gave up or something like that. And then we adopt those ideas around goal setting and then just kind of refuse to set goals for ourselves in the future, refuse to expand our comfort zone because in the past when we've tried to do it, we failed. And I'd love to just hear your take on that because I think that that's a really important insight as to the goal setting process and how people in turn view themselves and and view their goals in the meantime. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a fine line about being really hard on ourselves and truly learning and growing from the lessons. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you can get into this trap of, oh, I failed here. I didn't do that. I didn't meet that deadline when you do planning right for your goals. And in that case, like anxieties can come up because you're getting uncomfortable. Right. And if you don't like to speak in front of people, but that's part of what you need to do, like you're going to be anxious and you're going to have the sweaty palms and the racing heart. And you're going to stay awake at night before this event happens or, or whatever it might be, but you're going to have some of these emotional things come up. And so we cannot constantly be working on a goal. 
um, 24 seven, seven days a week. Like you can't do that. You will get burned out. I promise you. Right. So we have to look at multiple areas of our life, I think, and really make sure we're in harmony. Mm -hmm. And so what are some er other areas of life? Like my personal development, like I make sure, like I read 30 minutes a day, like that's what I do and your relationships, right? Whether it is your partner or spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend or parents or kids or friends, like look at your relationships. Like, are you investing in your relationships in your life? Or are you strictly just focused on this goal over here? Because those people will leave you, you know, they, and that's your support system. And so I think it's really important for people to create this work-life harmony, mm -hmm. right? And balance things out and then look at what type of self-care like do you need and i have a lot of anxiety i have been diagnosed with anxiety since i was in high school um it comes up time and time again i i at one day i will say i'm, I'm recovering um you know i'm probably recovering now I, I think i do pretty well but those are some things we put so much pressure on ourselves and these things will bubble up again and i can feel it coming and i know it's coming and i look at my life and i'm like okay where have i been hyper focused in which areas of my life are lacking and there's always something and i can mm -hmm. be like okay like I need to do more of this or I need to, you know, do more exercise or more of this. And so creating really good habits in multiple areas of life, I think will help with that. Um, and we just feel good about it. We just feel good about it. Yeah. I, I think that something with just anxiety and depression and there's not, I don't think that there's like a blanket answer to this is the solution. This is why you have it or whatever else. But I think one thing that is really important with kind of anxiety, just like you were talking about, applies to all emotions, anger, sadness, fear, hurt, guilt, all these is not necessarily trying to run away from them. And when you're feeling anxious, asking those emotions, it's like why they're there. You know, what's going on that's making me feel this way? Is it something that I'm getting pushed out of my comfort zone and I'm getting challenged a little bit? Or is it truly something that I need to adjust some of my, my habits? I need to adjust some of the people around or whatever else. Same thing with anger. Same thing with when you're feeling sadness or depression or stuff like that, I think it's important to ask yourself where those emotions are stemming from. And then if it's related to that, that comfort level you're trying to enhance or some of the goals, or if there's maybe some work there that you can do, that's not necessarily just related to um, chronic illness and stuff like that, but just asking and looking at them in some different ways, I think is so important too. Yeah, I think self-reflection is really huge. And I like how you said, like, figuring out, like, where is the emotion coming from? And, you know, we know that there's a variety of emotions. And somebody once said to me, right, think of it as there's two emotions, right? Love and fear. And when you're feeling anxious or you're feeling that anger, like, ask yourself, like, what am I fearing right now? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh. And so that's like a really good check that I use a lot. Like when my emotions are getting high and I'm, I'm getting snappier, like I recognize my si signals and then I will stop and I'll be like, all right, there's two emotions, love and fear. What do I fear right now? Right. And maybe I feel fear getting uncomfortable. Maybe I fear getting, um, being wrong. I hate being wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I fear, right. That, you know, I have to meet people that I don't know yet. Like there's all kinds of things that could come up that are, is causing that. And that's been a really good kind of just quick checkpoint with myself to figure out like, okay, where is that coming from? Yeah. Yeah. And Danielle, I feel like I could talk to you about this all day yeah. long and you've been so generous with your time and I really appreciate you. And this has been such a valuable, I've just, it, it's flown by the past 30 minutes and I love getting the chat with you here. Um, just in finishing up, would you mind just sharing where people can connect with you? People can learn a little bit more about you and, and get involved in, in your work. 
Yeah, I would love to. And I do want to thank you so much, Alex. This has been um, great. And I, I have a feeling we'll stay connected too. Um, but people can go to my website and it's simply DanielleAbbottCoaching.com. Um, I have my leadership stuff there. I have some of my kind of success coaching stuff there. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, all Danielle Abbott. Um, so I'm pretty easy to find. There's not too many of me out there. And then I do have a membership program, which is called the Limitless Lab. Um, um, where you can kind of join for free and get some things. And then if you need more support to reach your goals, we can kind of talk about what that would look like for you. Um, so you can find that uh, Facebook group on Facebook. Yes, Facebook group on Facebook. Yes, 100%. Um, so that's where you can find me. All right. I mean, and I'll link your, your website there um, below so people can get connected with you. And before we finish up, I always finish with just five easy rapid fire questions for you to answer up and then um, we'll go ahead and finish up. Okay. Okay. Number one, what is a movie that you will always stop and watch if it is on? Oh my God. The Goonies. The Goonies. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's a great one. The great one. All right. Number two, uh, if you were given a hundred thousand dollars to give to one cause or one organization, where would you send it? Oh my goodness. I would send it to something to do with mental health. I can't think off the top of my head, but like a mental health hospital or something that helps with mental health. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Number three, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Um, probably from my dad when I told him I was leaving my corporate world. He said, you're marketable. And if you need to find something else, you will. And I said, okay. Yeah. Gave my notice the next day. <laughs> Believing in yourself. Here we go. Yeah. Taking that risk. All right, number four, if you were writing a book on leadership, what would be the first and the most important chapter? Mm, the first and the most important chapter is creating a culture of trust. Mm. We have to trust people in order to work hard. I will do anything for somebody I trust. Yeah, I love that. That's fantastic. Uh, all right, number five, last question. What is something you wish you knew when you were in your early 20s or just starting your career that you know now? That what other people think of me is none of my business. Yeah, I think that, that is a, that's a message that we all need to take to heart a little bit, especially uh, people who are in their teenage years, early 20s, just starting their careers and everything else. 100%. None of your business. Let them think it. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Keep yeah. going. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Danielle, again, thank you so much for taking the time to to meet with me. This has been such a, a fun episode and a fun podcast, and I can't wait to share it with everybody. Um, for listeners, please, um, if this message was valuable to you, be sure to connect with Danielle. Um, leave a review, share the podcast and everything else. It always means so much when people share it and then share with me that they, they enjoy the message and everything else. And then we will catch you guys next time. Thank you. Awesome.